0: I love that song, King of Kings, so filled with the glorious good news of what Christ has done for us. And that's where I want to start today with the good news of what Christ has done. Because in the beginning, God created. And His conclusion upon looking at His creation was, this is very good. But Adam and Eve looked at creation and they didn't come to the same conclusion. Because the serpent had showed up in the garden and began to convince them that somehow God was holding out on them, that there was something more that God hadn't given them. And so Adam and Eve were concluding, this is not very good. And so they reached out and they took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they ate it. Now that act of disobedience and rebellion came with the promise of certain death. Those words had been spoken by Yahweh upon instructing them of the rules of this creation of His. But that certain death was met amazingly with grace and with mercy. A gracious and a merciful God in that moment in the garden promised that where Adam had failed in his obedience he would provide another who would not fail. And where Adam had succumbed to the temptation of the serpent Satan, this one would not succumb to the temptation. Another would come who would follow the will of God in perfect obedience. And as we begin to turn the pages of Scripture from those opening chapters of Genesis, we meet many characters who we begin to wonder is this the promised one is this the the second Adam who will obey and so we meet guys like Noah Abraham Jacob he's kind of out immediately rascal but there's Joseph there's Moses Moses You move in, there's there's Samson who's really strong. There's, There's the king, Saul. Ah, the king, David. Surely David. But with every turn of the page, we read of their failures. The curse of sin is too strong. The power of the flesh is too great for them to overcome. But as we read the opening lines of the New Testament, we begin to see thousands of years of prophecy converging in the birth of a baby who they will call Jesus. And this baby grows in wisdom and knowledge into a man that would shake first century Judaism to its core. He taught as one who had authority. He gave sight to the blind. The lame would walk The deaf would hear. He would even raise the dead to life. And how was he rewarded for such actions? He was killed. They hung him on a cross. The jealous Jewish leaders in cahoots with Pilate had Jesus crucified in an attempt to to regain their power, in an attempt to regain control of the people of Israel. But Jesus wasn't just another man you could hang on a cross. Jesus wasn't just another teacher who had come along. He wasn't just another prophet. He wasn't just another nut job who came along proclaiming to be the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was and is the promised one. Jesus was and is the second Adam who would come, the one who would not succumb to the temptation of Satan, the one who would and did fulfill the law of God in every way. Not one jot or tittle was missed. And by his death, which by the way was no accident, It was no surprise to God. It was taking place according to the the definite plan and foreknowledge of God according to Peter in Acts chapter 2. By His death and His resurrection, we're offered forgiveness. Justification. Sin has been removed. We are freed from the bondage of the law, which we're incapable of keeping. Right? Hence the curse. We've talked through that. We're freed from the slave master of sin. I want to invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6 for a moment. which is in our text this morning, but, but it is a beautiful text I want to look at. Romans chapter 6. Paul writes about this newfound freedom that we have in Christ. We'll just start in verse 1. Because I want you to see the parallel here with what we're going to look at today in Galatians 5. Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means, or God forbid, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin now if we died with christ we believe that we will also live with him we know that christ being raised from the dead will never die again death no longer has dominion over him For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Jesus, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Those verses in Romans 6 summarize in a few verses so much of what Paul has already said in the first four chapters of Galatians. Namely, that Christ by His death has made you free from the law. He pleads, don't go back to the law. Don't put on those chains again. Don't go back to the life where you were trying to earn your way to God or earn your salvation. Don't do it. Just last week we considered Galatians 5.1 where it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. The Galatians were being drawn back into thinking they didn't need Jesus. The Galatians were being drawn back into the thinking that, that maybe they could be the second Adam. Maybe they could do what the first Adam couldn't do. I can do it by myself. But Paul has effectively argued that Christ has set us free from the law, the curse, and sin, and we're to stand firm in that freedom that we have so the question we begin with today is this do you believe that do you believe that christ has set you free from the law do you believe that christ has set you free from sin from the curse do you believe this good news and if you do then what will you do with your new life of freedom in christ From this point on in the letter, Paul offers instruction regarding the way we should live. If you're free in Christ, Paul says, then the the natural outworking of the Spirit in your life will look like. And over the next few weeks and months, we're going to discover what that looks like. What does freedom in Christ look like for us in the day-to-day. And so today, we move forward in Paul's instruction. We're going to consider Galatians 5, verse 13, 14, and 15, which in turn will help us set up one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture or passages in all of Scripture uh, that will be coming in a couple of weeks, the fruit of the Spirit. But today, let's focus on these three verses together. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you are called to freedom... Brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and you devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I'm going to ask you to bow with me this morning as we get started. I want to give you just a moment to pray. I want to give you a moment to pray and invite the Holy Spirit of God to do whatever work He wants to do in your life. And then I'm going to pray and we're going to dive into these truths today. we pray that your word would affect change in us today. That would bring us to repentance. That would bring us to praise and worship of you. Spirit, I pray you would have free reign in my life and in the lives of of all of us who are your children. For those who are here today who may not know this freedom in Christ that today they they would come to know it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. First point I want us to consider is this, don't abuse your freedom. Don't abuse your freedom. Paul begins by restating that the Galatians, these brothers and sisters, have been called to freedom. Now, in that phrase, the word called reminds us that our freedom, our salvation, is a gracious gift that God gives to us. It's not anything that we do, it's everything that he has done. And this freedom that we have, John Stott summarizes the core of Paul's focus so well. Here's what he says, he says, It is freedom from the awful bondage of having to earn the favor of God. We are free from the awful bondage of having to earn the favor of God. I shared some weeks back my own story, my own testimony of what I grew up in, the misunderstandings I had of the gospel. I felt it was on me to pray the right prayer, to do the right things. I lived under that awful bondage of the law. I spent many nights in my bed praying, God, if I'm not saved, save me, because I don't want to wake up and go to hell. I was terrified. I'd hear sermons, evangelists come in and preach the hellfire, brimstone, damnation, and it, it, it terrified me. And I would pray a prayer again because I didn't know if my prayer that I prayed before was the right prayer that I needed to pray. And it wasn't until somebody opened up God's word and very clearly showed me, Josh, it's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done. And some of you know the freedom of that statement because you know what I felt in that moment that I was a 16, 15, 16 year old kid and the weight was just lifted at that point. I I understood the freedom that Christ had come to set me free from in that moment that oh, oh he does it all. And even as time moves on and I get to study books like Galatians, I'm I'm amazed still as new venues of the freedom that Christ gives continue to open in my mind and in my heart and He begins to show me more and more of what it is to be free in Christ. But as sweet as the freedom we have in Christ is, we're still sinners. We're still strugglers. And so Paul offers some instructions to the Galatians, offers instruction to us. He says, do not abuse the freedom you have. He writes, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What does he mean by flesh? Is he talking about the the skin that wraps around our muscles and bones and keeps that all held together? No, in the Bible, flesh is a reference to our sin nature. It's a reference to what what other places would call the old man part of us. We're new creations in Christ, but until our death and resurrection, until we get new bodies, we will continue to struggle with the sin nature that is a part of us. We'll continue to battle with a twisted self-centeredness that lives inside of each of us. And you feel that battle, don't you? I, I hope we can all agree that I, I feel that battle every day in my life. The battle of the flesh versus the Spirit. That's the tension that we find, and, and that's the tension that's, that's actually going to be addressed. Notice, notice verse 16. We're going to look at this stuff next week, but I want you to see it. Uh, Paul writes, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, because the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. There is a battle that wages in us. And the battlefield is our own heart. It's for control of, of how we live and how we believe and how we act in the words that we say. That's the battle. So let's, let's put it all together. Paul says you're free in Christ. You're no longer under the, the pressure and the weight of having to earn God's favor. Jesus has done this beautiful, beautiful work for you. But that doesn't mean you can live however you want to live. Don't use, or better, don't abuse the freedom that Christ has bought for you as a license to sin. All throughout this letter, it's very interesting, the change that happens here, because all throughout this letter, Paul has been dealing with uh, the legalism. Right? The legalism that says, I- I've got to do these things to earn favor with God, and now he-, he flips the switch, and he says it's not about legalism, now it's about license. Getting to live however you want to live. Uh, Tim Keller writes, to fall back into rule keeping means we lose our freedom, but to fall into permissiveness means we abuse that freedom. The point Paul makes here is that we are really good at sinning. <laughs> I mean, we can easily s- swing from, from one extreme to the other. We, 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 on one hand, we sin when we pridefully and arrogantly think that we can earn our salvation. It's arrogant, it's sinful for me to say, I can do enough good things to please God. But on the other hand we fall into the temptation of thinking, since I have forgiveness, since Christ has set me free, I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want to live and there's always more grace. There's always more mercy. I'll just do what I want. In fact, in verses 19 through 21, Paul provides a a list of sins of the flesh that we often turn to. Sins that that, that we often choose. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, division, evil or envy, drunkenness, orgies. Orgies we somehow reason in our minds that our sinful choices, somehow blessed by God, somehow He sanctions them. We somehow convince ourselves that in Christ, we're free to live with bitterness. In Christ, we're free to lust as much as we want to lust. In Christ, I can lie to others. It's nothing big. It's just a small lie. In Christ... I can disobey my parents and ask for forgiveness later in Christ. I'm free to get drunk, do whatever I want to do. And Paul warns us, do not abuse the freedom that Christ has bought for you. But we cut him off in verse 13, because the whole thing reads this, only do not use your freedom As an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So instead, we want to use our freedom for the right purposes. The famous line in in Spider-Man and in probably several other superhero comics is this, with great power comes great responsibility. That statement rings true here at the conclusion of verse 13. Here Paul encourages the Galatians to, instead of exploiting your your freedom in Christ, use it. Use it to serve other people in love. Paul laid the groundwork for this last week in verse 6. You may remember where he stated that, that our faith, by the Spirit, produces is made known or genuine by love. By the love you show to others. The love that God has showed us is what Scripture defines as an agape love. It's that love that shall be sang about at the beginning of the service. It's a love that is self-sacrificing, it's a love that gives with the expectation of nothing in return. It's a love that is patient. It's a love that is kind. It's a love that is gracious, forgiving, merciful. It's a love that is forever. This is the love of Christ that bought our freedom. That's the love it took to buy the freedom that allows you to come and sit in this room today and to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we can say to this, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for sacrificing yourself for me. Thank you, Jesus, for purchasing this freedom that I have. And now that I'm free, I am going to love me. And I'm going to do whatever I want to do with the freedom that you have bought for me. The other option is to say thank you Jesus for sacrificing yourself for me. Thank you for on the cross and by your resurrection bringing freedom to my life. Now that I'm free, I am going to love others. I'm gonna do whatever I can to serve others. Now, one of those responses is of the flesh, and one of those responses is of the spirit. And I think we know which is which. Because it is the spirit of Christ that compels us to be like Christ, that compels us to show this agape love to other people. It's why in verse 22, when he begins to list the fruit of the spirit, Heading off the list, the lead off hitter, is love. It's love. Because the spirit that you have inside of you is the spirit of Christ. Christ doesn't have to act and perform in agape love. Christ is agape love. And the spirit that's inside of you doesn't have to act or perform in agape love. He is agape love. And he wants to cultivate that love in you that is a love that is outward, not a love that is inward. So what does it look like to serve other people in love? If we look at the life of Jesus, how did he serve other people? Catalog through the gospel in your mind, how did he serve other people, prayed for them. He took time to teach them, to talk with them. He healed them, he, he fed them. He even gave his life for them. So how might the love of Christ that is ours by means of the Holy Spirit show itself in our lives? How do we serve other people in love? We pray for them. We pray for them. We take time to pray for them. We help others navigate through the burdens of their life. That's coming up in chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? To love one another. We help others navigate through life. We, we take time to teach one another and offer instruction to one another. We, we show patience with one another, recognizing that none of us are perfect and that we're going to make mistakes and we're going to fail. We, we forgive one another when those mistakes and failures happen. Use our gifts within the body to serve and love one another, whether that's teaching in kids' ministries, working in the nursery, doing all of the different things that you can do to serve other people. We share the gospel of hope. We share the good news of Jesus with other people who don't have any hope. And everything that I've said, and we could continue to go on and on, everything that I've said here inconveniences you. Praying for other people inconveniences you. These things are contrary to the flesh part of you. You won't want to do that in the flesh. But in the Spirit you won't have another choice because these are the actions of love this is what love does love says it's you before me you before me but paul isn't satisfied with us taking his own word for it so he directs our attention to the gospels to particular circumstance and situation that jesus found himself in turn with me to luke chapter 10 would you luke chapter 10 Here in Luke 10, Jesus encounters a man trying to find the key to eternal life. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test and said, teacher, or Jesus, what, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, and your neighbors yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. There's another text where they asked Jesus to summarize the law. I don't know if this lawyer had been privy to the previous conversation, but Jesus says, You answer correctly. Because in Matthew, when they said, Jesus, how would you summarize the law? What's the most important command? He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I love what he says because the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who's my neighbor? Oh, well, summarize that for me. And Jesus, guess what? He was ready. (laughs) And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Let's look at that. There was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, and they departed and left him half dead. By chance, there was a priest who was going down, and when he saw he passed by on the other side... And so likewise, there was a Levite. When he came to the place and saw, he passed by on the other side. But there's a Samaritan, the the sworn enemies of the Jews. And as he journeyed, he came in where he was. And when he saw him, he had, he had what? Compassion. Love. And he went to him. He bound up his wounds. He poured oil and wine and then he sat on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii. He gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you have to spend, I'll repay when I come back. And Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, you go and you do likewise. Loving the beaten man was an inconvenience for the Samaritan. It took time out of his day. It took money out of his pocket. It took pride out of his life. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Yet he humbled himself to love his enemy more than he loved himself. So Jesus summarizes the whole law in two points. Love God, love your neighbor. And so back in Galatians, we, we have to think, why does Paul just focus in on loving your neighbor? Because he says, Jesus fulfilled, Jesus said it just fulfills the law. If you, you love your neighbor, but he doesn't bring up the love of God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And here's, here's the reason, because love for, for God is assumed when we're loving our neighbors. Because if I've got this right and I'm loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind, then I will love whomever, people who have hurt me, people who have been good to me, I will love them with that same everlasting, self-sacrificing, gape love. And besides that answer to the question, Everything that Paul deals with from this point forth in the letter will be about loving our neighbor. It'll be about loving and serving the people around us. But verse 14 brings up a a serious question. Does Jesus want us to keep the law or not keep the law? Maybe you're thinking of this already because you're seeing that he says you you should fulfill the law by loving your neighbor, but the whole letter up to this point has been you don't need to fulfill the law. Jesus has done it for you. And so it's a little bit of a head scratcher to wonder well, Jesus, do you want me to be free from the law or do you want me to keep the law? So, what gives? Here's what gives it's it's all about our motives. Are you keeping the law? Are you striving to fulfill the law in an attempt to earn God's favor? Or are you striving to keep the law, love God, love your neighbor, because you have received God's favor? Is it about following the law so that God will be pleased with you? Or is it about following the law because he's already said, I am pleased with you? That's the motivation. I want to lovingly serve other people because God has lovingly served me and my loving service to other people is a means of showing the way in which God has loved me. Let your good works show so that others may see as Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5. And they may in turn glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well, there's one more verse that we need to consider here in Galatians 5, verse 15. Evidently, there was some infighting going on in Galatia because Paul draws a very strong contrast from all the love talk in 13 and 14 when he writes, If you bite and you devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The verbs Paul uses here are very vivid they increase with intensity. When he talks about the, the biting that you're performing on one another, it, it's used other places in the scripture of a, a serpent strike. It's quick and hurtful words. Snide remarks that are made to hurt. But biting gives way to devouring. And, and devouring leaves us with nothing. Complete destruction or annihilation. We're always sinning in one direction, aren't we? Because sin doesn't have a, a, a neutral position. If I begin with biting and devouring and I don't repent there, then ultimately that will lead to destruction. Destruction. It's a dangerous game we're playing, Paul says. He warns the Galatians to stop the fighting or it will destroy you all. Now currently, unless I am oblivious, we don't have a lot of biting and devouring going on here. But let this text be a warning to everybody in this room that we must use our freedom every day, every week to serve one another in love. But just because there's not maybe biting and devouring going on from pew to pew, I've been in church experiences where that is the case and very visible and evident and vocal. It doesn't mean that it's not going on in your home, other areas of your life. I've used this text many times with a couple, a husband and a wife who were just at each other. And they were day by day, strike after strike, chipping away and destroying each other. I've used it with those who are struggling with bitterness towards someone who's wronged them. The warning is that the end of biting and devouring is already determined. You don't get to control that. You've already made your choice when you chose to bite and you chose to devour. Annihilation is coming. Destruction is coming. That's never the goal of a Christian. It should never be the goal of a follower of Christ. My dog's kind of dumb. He's smart in some ways. We kind of compare him to a horse because, you know, a horse will run and run and run until it just drops dead. When we take our dog for a walk, it's more like a drag. I mean, he is just full steam, could be a sled dog pulling us. We're kind of anxious for maybe some winter weather to see if that's actually possible. <laughs> and he will pull and pull, and, and we pass people on the trail, and he's like, <laughs> and we're just like, sorry, you know, he's, o- he's okay, you know. It's embarrassing, because we can't get him to stop. And we just, he's going he's to do this until he's dead if we don't make him stop, make him sit down, catch his breath, get a drink. But we're just as dumb because we will choose sin. We will choose to bite and devour and keep devouring even though Scripture warns us the end of this is Destruction. The end of this is annihilation. You're signing your own death warrant, you're digging your own grave by making this choice to continue to say more and more hurtful things. To continue to add another lie on top of another lie on top of another lie. To continue to to add bitterness upon bitterness upon bitterness. More pornography on top of more pornography on top of more pornography. Or more fear on top of more fear on top of more fear. It will lead to destruction. Friends, that is not the freedom of Christ. That is the bondage of the law and the flesh. Use your freedom instead to serve other people in love. Don't abuse it for your own purposes. I want you to consider these questions with me today before we pray. Are you free in Christ? Has Christ Jesus set you free? And if so, if you're here and say, He set me free, I have believed, I've put my faith in Him, how are you using your freedom? Are you selfishly harboring and holding on to sins of the flesh? Are you biting and devouring other people? If so, what does Scripture call upon you and me to do today? I mean, right now. Repent. Turn away from it. I don't want to destroy my life. I don't want to destroy the lives of the people around me. I want the freedom that Christ offers man, I want that love and that joy and that peace and that patience. I want that fruit in my life. That's the fruit of freedom. That's the fruit of victory. Repent. Turn from it today. Say, I'm done with the lying. I'm done with the biting. I'm done with the bitterness. I'm done with the fear. Turn away from it. Turn to Christ. Another set of questions. Are you using your freedom to serve others in love? Do you realize that in Christ you're free to serve others because His Spirit who is love resides in you and longs to continue that Calvary work, that that healing work all of the love that you see in the Gospels, he longs for that to continue in 2020, in your family, in your community. How are you serving other people? And maybe we flip it around and ask this, where are you failing to serve other people? In love. I'm ask you to bow for a moment if you would This is the point of culmination. Every week we hear God's word. We consider God's word. But the question is always what will we do with God's word? It's not enough to hear it. Will we obey it? Will we follow it? Will we rejoice in it? And that's the choice you get to make right here, right now. How will I respond? To these truths? Will I submit myself to the Spirit? Will I yield myself to the Holy Spirit? Will I repent of those fleshly desires that have me in chains and bondage? Will I turn to Christ? Will I serve others? Will I lovingly serve others? I want to give you a moment to wrestle with all of those things, to pray to God right now. And then I'll pray for us in just a moment. Father, forgive us. Forgive me for being at so many points in my life so selfish. I went from being a legalist to somebody flashing my license to sin around. content that you'll show more grace and you'll show more mercy and so I can just do whatever I want. But that is not agape love. That is not who you are. That is not what you called me or any of us who are Jesus followers to be. Help us to in love serve one another. Help us to do that even as soon as we dismiss in just a few minutes. To step into each other's worlds and and pray and encourage and teach and serve one another in love. Lord, if there's some here who are struggling with repentance, they're holding on to fear. There's a lot of things we could fear right now. You know that, God. but you call us to trust and faith. If there's some here today who are holding on to those, those, those hurtful words, those bitter thoughts, Lord, that you would bring them to repentance today. Those under the bondage of addiction, that you bring them to repentance today. we ask that you would continue your work beyond these doors as we move throughout the rest of this week and Father we thank you for the freedom we have it is so sweet to know that you love us Completely. As Tori said, you you don't love us less, you don't love us more. You love us completely. Let that be our motivation, God. Thank you for attentive ears and hearts today. Continue your good work in us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.